Chapter 3, Part 4 of Apologia Pro Vita Sua by John Henry Cardinal Newman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bill McGillivray. Such was about my state of mind on the publication of Tract 90 in February 1841. I was indeed in prudence taking steps towards eventually withdrawing from St. Mary's and I was not confident about my permanent adhesion to the Anglican creed, but I was in no actual perplexity or trouble of mind. Nor did the immense commotion consequent upon the publication of the tract unsettle me again, for I fancied I had weathered the storm. As far as the bishops were concerned, the tract had not been condemned. That was the great point, and I made much of it. To illustrate my feelings during this trial, I will make extracts from my letters addressed severally to Mr. Bowden and another friend, which have come into my possession. 1. March 15th. The heads, I believe, have just done a violent act. They have said that my interpretation of the articles is an invasion. Do you think this will pain me? You see, no doctrine is censured, and my shoulders should manage to bear the charge. If you knew all, or were here you would see that I have asserted a great principle, and I ought to suffer for it, that the articles are to be interpreted not according to the meaning of the writers, but, as far as the wording will admit, according to the sense of the Catholic Church. 2. March 25th. I do trust I shall make no false steps, and hope my friends will pray for me to this effect. If, as you say, a density hangs over us, a single false step may ruin all. I am very well and comfortable, but we are not yet out of the wood. 3. April 1st. The bishop sent me word on Sunday to write a letter to him in Stanter. So I wrote it on Monday. On Tuesday it passed through the press. On Wednesday it was out. And today, Thursday, it is in London. I trust that things are smoothing now, and that we have made a great step is certain. It is not right to boast, till I am clear out of the wood, that is, till I know how the letter is received in London. You know, I suppose that I am to stop the tracks, but you will see in the letter, though I speak quite what I feel, yet I have managed to take out on my side my snubbing worth, and this makes me anxious how it will be received in London. I have not had a misgiving for five minutes from the first, but I do not like to boast, least some harm come. 4. April 4th. Your letter of this morning was an exceedingly great gratification to me, and it is confirmed, I am thankful to say, by opinion of others. The bishop sent me a message that my letter had his unqualified appropriation, and since that he has sent me a note to the same effect, only going more into detail. It is most pleasant, too, to my feelings to have such a testimony to the substantial truth and importance of number 90, as I have had from so many of my friends, from those who, from their cautious turn of mind, I was least sanguine about. I have not had one misgiving myself about it throughout, and I do trust that what has happened will be overruled to subverse the great cause we all have at heart. May 9th. The bishops are very desirous of hushing the matter up, and I certainly have done my utmost to cooperate with them, on the understanding that the tract is not to be withdrawn or condemned. Upon this occasion several Catholics wrote to me, 
I answered one of my correspondents in the same tone. April 8th. You have no cause to be surprised at the discontinuance of the tracts. We feel no misgivings about it whatever, as if the cause of what we hold to be Catholic truth would suffer thereby. My letter to my bishop has, I trust, had the effect of bringing the preponderating authority of the Church on our side. No stopping of the tracts can, humanly speaking, stop the spread of the opinions which they have inculcated. The tracts are not suppressed. No doctrine or principle has been conceded by us, or condemned by authority. The bishop has but said that a certain tract is objectionable, no reason being stated. I have no intention whatever of yielding any one point which I hold on conviction, and that the authorities of the church know full well. In the summer of 1841, I found myself at Littlemore without any harass or anxiety on my mind. I had determined to put aside all controversy, and I set myself down to my translation of St. Athanasius, but between July and November I received three blows which broke me. 1. I had got but a little way in my work when my trouble returned on me. The ghost had come a second time. In the Aryan history I found the very same phenomena in a far bolder shape which I had found in the monophysite. I had not observed it in 1832. Wonderful that this should come upon me. I had not sought it out. I was reading and writing in my own line of study, far from the controversies of the day, on what is called a metaphysical subject. But I saw clearly that in the history of Arianism, the pure Arians were the Protestants, the semi-Arians were the Anglicans, and that Rome now was what it was then. The truth lay not with the via media, but with what was called the extreme party. As I am not writing a work of controversy, I need not enlarge upon the argument. I have said something on the subject in a volume, from which I have already quoted. 2. I was in the misery of this new unsettlement when a second blow came to me. The bishop, one after another, began to charge against me. It was a formal determined movement. This was the real understanding that, on which I had acted on the first appearance of Track 90, had come to naught. I think the words which had been used to me were that perhaps two or three of them might think it necessary to say something in their charges, but this time they had tided over the difficulty of the tract, and there was no one to enforce the understanding. They went on this way, directing charges at me, for three whole years. I recognized it as a condemnation. It was the only one that was in their power. At first I intended to protest, but I gave up the thought in despair. On October 17th I wrote thus to a friend. I suppose it will be necessary in some shape or other to reassert Tract 90, else it will seem after these bishops' charges as if it were silenced, which it has not been, nor do I intend it should be. I wish to keep quiet, but if bishops speak, I will speak too. If the view were silenced, I could not remain in the church, nor could many others, and therefore, since it is not silenced, I shall take care to show that it isn't. A day or two after October 22nd, a stranger wrote to me to say that the tracts for the times had made a young friend of his a Catholic, and to ask, would I be so good as to convert him back? 
I made answer, If conversions to Rome take place in consequence of the tracts for the times, I do not impute blame to them, but to those who, instead of acknowledging such Anglican principles of theology and ecclesiastical polity as they contain, set themselves to oppose them. Whatever be the influence of the tracts, great or small, they may become just as powerful for Rome if our church refuses them, as they would be for our church if she accepted them. If our rulers speak either against the tracts or not at all, if any number of them not only do not favor, but even do not suffer the principles contained in them, it is plain that our members may easily be persuaded either to give up those principles or to give up the church. If this state of things goes on, I mournfully prophesize not one or two, but many secessions to the Church of Rome. Two years afterwards, looking back on what I had passed, I said, there were no converts to Rome till after the condemnation of number 90. 3. As if all this were not enough, there came the affair of the Jerusalem bishopric, and with a brief mention of it I shall conclude. I think I am right in saying that it had been long a desire of the Prussian court to introduce episcopacy into a new evangelical religion, which was intended in that country to embrace both the Lutheran and Calvinistic bodies. I almost think I heard of the project when I was at Rome in 1833, at the hotel of the Prussian minister M. Bunsen, who was most hospitable and kind as to other English visitors, so also to my friends and myself. The idea of episcopacy, as the Prussian king understood it, was, I suppose, very different from that taught in the Tractarian school. But still I suppose also that the chief authors of that school would have gladly seen such a measure carried out in Prussia, had it been done without compromising those principles which were necessary to the being of a church. About the time of the publication of Tract 90, M. Bunsen and the then Archbishop of Canterbury were taking steps for its execution by appointing and consecrating a bishop for Jerusalem. Jerusalem, it would seem, was considered a safe place for the experiment. It was too far from Prussia to awaken the susceptibilities of any party at home. If the project failed, it failed without a harm to anyone, and if it succeeded, it gave Protestantism a status in the East, which, in association with the Monophysites, or Jacobite, and the Nestorian bodies, formed a political instrument for England, parallel to that which Russia had in the Greek Church, and France in the Latin. Accordingly, in July 1841, full of the Anglican difficulties on the question of Catholicity, I thus spoke of the Jerusalem scheme in an article in the British Critic. When our thoughts turn to the East, instead of reconciling that there are Christian churches there, we leave it to the Russians to take care of the Greeks, and the French to take care of the Romans, and we content ourselves with erecting a Protestant church at Jerusalem, or with helping the Jews to rebuild their temple there, or with becoming the august protector of the Nestorians, Metaphysites, and all the heretics we can hear of, or with forming a league with the Mussulmen against Greeks and Romans together. I do not pretend so long after the time to give a full or exact account of this measure in detail. I will but say that the Act of Parliament under the date of October 5, 1841, if the copy from which I quote, contains the measure, as it passed the house, 
provision is made for the consecration of british subjects or the subjects or citizens of any foreign state to be bishops in any foreign country whether such foreign subjects or citizens be or be not subjects or citizens of the country in which they are to act and without requiring such of them as may be subjects or citizens of any foreign kingdom or state to take the oath of allegiance and supremacy and the oath of due obedience to the archbishop for the time being also that such bishop or bishops so consecrated may exercise within such limits as may from time to time be assigned for that purpose in such foreign countries by her majesty spiritual jurisdiction over the ministries of british congregations of the united church of england and ireland and over such other protestant congregations as may be desirous of placing themselves under his or their authority now here at the very time that the anglican bishops were directing their censure upon me for avowing an approach to the catholic church not closer than i believe the anglican formularies would allow they were on the other hand fraternizing by their act or by their sufferance with protestant bodies and allowing them to put themselves under an anglican bishop without any renunciation of their errors or regard to their due reception of baptism and confirmation while there was great reason to suppose that said bishop was intended to make converts from the orthodox greeks and the schematical oriental bodies by means of the influence of england this was the third blow which finally shattered my faith in the anglican church that church was not only forbidding any sympathy or concurrence with the church of rome but it actually was courting an intercommunion with the protestant prussia and the heresy of the orientals the anglican church might have the apostolical succession as had the monophysites but such acts as were in progress led me to the gravest suspicions not that it would soon cease to be a church but that since sixteenth century it had never been a church all along on october twelfth i thus wrote to mr bowden we have not a single anglican in jerusalem so we are sending a bishop to make a communion not to govern our own people next the excuse is that there are converted anglican jews there who require a bishop i am told there are not half a dozen but for them the bishop is sent out and for them he is a bishop of the circumcision parenthesis, i think he was a converted jew who boasted of his jewish descent close parenthesis, against the epistle to the galileans pretty nearly thirdly for the sake of prussia he is to take under him all the foreign protestants who will come and the political advantage will be so great from the influence of england that there is no doubt they will come they are to sign the confession of augsburg and there is nothing to show that they will hold the doctrine of baptismal regeneration as to myself i shall do nothing whatever publicly unless indeed it were to give my signature to a protest but i think it would be out of place in me to agitate having been in a way silenced but the archbishop is really doing most grave work of which we cannot see the end i did make a solemn protest and sent it to the archbishop of canterbury and also sent it to my own bishop with the following letter it seems as if i were never to write to your lordship without giving you pain and i know that my present subject does not specially concern your lordship yet after a great deal of anxious thought i lay before you the enclosed protest 
your lordship will observe that i am not asking for any notice of it unless you think that i ought to receive one i do this very serious act in obedience to my sense of duty if the english church is to enter on a new course and assume a new aspect it will be more pleasant to me hereafter to think that i did not suffer so grievous an event to happen without hearing witness against it may i be allowed to say that i augur nothing but evil if we in any respect prejudice our title to be a branch of the apostolic church that article of the creed i need hardly observe to your lordship is of such constraining power that if we will not claim it and use it for ourselves others will use it in their own behalf against us men who learn whether by means of documents or measures whether from the statements or the acts of persons in authority that our communion is not a branch of the one church i foresee with much grief will be tempted to look out for that church elsewhere it is to me a subject of great dismay that as far as the church has lately spoken out on the subject of the opinions which i and others hold those opinions are not merely not sanctioned for that i do not ask but not even suffered i earnestly hope that your lordship will excuse my freedom in thus speaking to you of some members of your most reverend and right reverend body with every feeling of reverend attachment to your lordship i am etc protest whereas the church of england has claimed on the allegiance of catholic believers only on the ground of her own claim to be considered a branch of the catholic church and whereas the recognition of heresy indirect as well as direct goes far to destroy such claim in the case of any religious body and whereas to admit maintainers of heresy to communion without formal renunciation of their errors goes far towards recognizing the same and whereas lutheranism and calvinism are heresies repugnant to scripture springing up three centuries since and anathematized by east as well as west and whereas it is reported that the most reverend primate and other right reverend rulers of our church have consecrated a bishop with a view of exercising spiritual jurisdiction over protestant that is lutheran and calvinist congregations in the east under the provisions of an act made in the last session of parliament to amend an act made in the twenty-sixth year of the reign of his majesty king george the third entitled an act to empower the archbishop of canterbury or the archbishop of york for the time being to consecrate to the office of bishop persons being subject or citizens of countries out of his majesty's dominions dispensing at the same time not in particular cases and accidentally but as if on principle and universally with any abjuration of error on the part of such congregations and with any reconciliations to the church on the part of the presiding bishop thereby giving some sort of formal recognition to the doctrines which such congregations maintain and whereas the dioceses in england are connected together by so close an intercommunion that what is done by authority in one immediately affects the rest on these grounds i in my place being a priest of the english church and vicar of st mary's the virgin oxford by way of relieving my conscience do hereby solemnly protest against the measure aforesaid and disown it as removing our church from her present ground and tending to her disorganization john henry newman november eleventh eighteen forty one
Looking back two years afterwards on the above-mentioned and other acts on the part of Anglican ecclesiastical authorities, I observed, many a man might have held an abstract theory about the Catholic Church, to which it was difficult to adjust the Anglican, might have admitted a suspicion or even painful doubts about the latter, yet never have been impelled onward, had our rulers preserved the quiescence of former years. But it is the cooperation of a present living and energetic heterodoxy that realizes and makes such doubts practical. It has been the recent speeches and acts of authorities who had so long been tolerant of Protestant error, which has given to inquiry and to theory its force and its edge. As to the project of a Jerusalem bishopric, I never heard of any good or harm it has ever done, except what it has done for me, which many think a great misfortune, and I one of the greatest of mercies. It brought me on to the beginning of the end. End of chapter 3, part 4